Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey, little point of order before we roll the next episode. At the time of the taping of this episode, my guest and I did not know that Twitter was about to change hands and that things on Twitter were going to get weirder than they ever had been, even though they were plenty weird. Um, so just letting you know that we didn't know, but this is what we said at the time. Yeah, this second season of Hey Maine, we're doing uh, several interviews where I literally have never met the person. Like, we were originally going with people I know who are famous who've done something, and I've just gone the other way. People I, I like or have, uh, they've drawn my notice, and one of them is Josiah Johnson, son of Marcus Johnson, the basketball great. Josiah's going to tell us about his experience in college basketball as well. But, as most of you know, the thing he does the best, I'm sure he's got a lot of other talents, he's done them. He gets on Twitter and just does some crazy shit that everybody responds to. There'll be something that happens, whether it's political, cultural, uh, sports, you know, basketball in particular. And he's got an arsenal of little videos and memes, and, and that's what he does. One sentence and a meme, and he's perfected it. He has taken over the internet, and he's been featured by the LA Times, New York Times. This is a real drop down to just be on this podcast, but... Here he is. Welcome to the show. Appreciate you, Kenny. Thank you for having me on. Big fan. Great to finally connect with you. Obviously, we've been chatting it up through Twitter and text messages and all that good shit, but happy to come on and show some love and support. I appreciate it. It's funny how many new relationships, I don't know if you're the same, I assume, because you've had you know such notice for everything you've done. I've made new friends, just somebody, else, oh, I like that person's opinion. No idea who they are. They see I follow them. They, you write them on the side, appreciate what you did today. And because people talk about how toxic it is and detrimental to society is actually I've I've found it to be a very positive and reinforcing medium. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, there's definitely the toxic negative side of it. But I think all of us should try to look above that and not really get caught in the weeds with that shit. But, yeah, like you mentioned, the opportunities that has opened up to connect and relate and meet so many people, you know, even from a personal experience, somebody like myself who's gotten to connect with people like Jordan Peele, John Legend, uh, you know, LeBron, who, who gave me some love. We ended up following each other. Uh, and just a lot of, you know, talented people, Mero, who's, who's a good friend of mine now, people that you meet on social, but like you mentioned, they have just something that you relate to, the something that you bond with. And there's a, so much positive side on the social side, especially for people who are actually, you know, trying to do things, trying to stay above the weeds with kind of all the negativity and the toxic nature that a lot of these social environments provide. But yeah, I mean, I love it. Like, I, I'm so thankful for the opportunities it's given me. It's really opened up a whole new 
platform and way for me to, you know, to support my family and to be able to do some cool stuff, meet cool people like yourself, be able to go on air and do cool things like, you know, NBA on TNT and things like that. So, you know, everybody who's, who's getting into this space, you know, there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of toxic, a lot, a lot of negative side of it, but for the positive side, for the people who are actually trying to build and uplift and amplify each other and, you know, share a lot of the same opinions and, and similarities, I think it's a really, really cool, cool thing. That's quite a list of endorsers you listed. I, I read that in one of the articles. You know, you got LeBron James. That's not bad by itself. Peel, amazing, uh, both comic and serious talent in what he does. John Legend, who's a friend. Um, I mean, that that's pretty good list of. Here's my resume. These three guys said I'm cool. Yeah, I mean that you'd be you'd be amazed how many doors that opens. And I think <laughs> it's just a validation you see from people who other people who are successful, who are talented, who have influence who have leverage in, in different spaces and are literally like, you know, the, the cream of the crop in their, their various industries. You know, here I am talking to you, getting that hey man cracking. Let's get it. <laughs> um, you got a bunch of other things happening. You know, you, you've written some things. You've you got your own podcast stuff going. And like you mentioned, the, the NBA stuff, all sorts of, uh, of bids I'm sure you have, you know, concurrently going even while you're doing whatever. But have you monetized the thing on Twitter? Like, did I not, if I look on your page, does it say sponsored by Nabisco or something? Like, <laughs> are you doing something tweet by tweet that brings your family money? Or the doing of it brings notice that could bring you money because then you get more opportunities? Well, look, you know, personally, I just like using social media in general. I like to keep myself entertained. I really kind of, you know, was doing it before, but hit the ground running during the pandemic. I knew a lot of people were out there, you know, going through different stuff, going through some tough times. So I just wanted to be able to, to make them laugh or make them, you know, take a break from all the the, the negative side of realities to have a, a joke or a meme or, or some type of satirical commentary. So what I've been able to do is really build up a strong following now. And that's created a lot of opportunities for me. Uh, Co-host a show with Gilbert Arenas called No Chill. Got another show called Out of Pocket I do with Wave TV. Do some stuff with Showtime Basketball. And then, like you mentioned, I do a ton of stuff on the writing side. The writing and producing was my bread and butter, which a lot of people don't know or realize. They think, obviously, my career just started uh, when LeBron called me the GOAT, but uh was in the <laughs> sports entertainment side since 2005, worked with NFL Network, Showtime, Fox Sports, a bunch of different spots, but was always behind the scenes, behind the camera, and now been able to leverage these platforms to do a bunch of cool stuff. Also, I've done a ton of branded campaigns with you know everybody from Netflix to NASCAR. Uh, we've got a great relationship now with Premier Lacrosse League, done some stuff for them. So like I said, it's just opened up so much stuff just from tweeting. So, you know, I, I see a lot of people say that, that Twitter is not real and social media is not real. Uh, it's very real if you know how to use it and capitalize on it. So I kind of just laugh when when people say stuff like that. And, you know, people are on these platforms for different reasons. Personally, myself is to, to grow my brand and really just, you know, leverage all those things with the different companies that I work with to try to be as successful as possible. I've got two little kids I need to take care of now. So as much as I can do to support them, I'm going to do it. And, you know, using social has definitely been one of those avenues. Yeah. So you're sitting on the couch, you're watching the game or you're watching something in politics, whatever it is. You just, ha you just, your whole weaponry is your, your phone. You just, your brain and your phone. Yeah. And then something happens and you go, I got a good line for that. And I got a good video for that. And you punch the button and there you go. That's, I mean, is that it? I mean, pretty much like it's pop culture and I'm, I'm interested in a bunch of different stuff. So if you look at my feed, it's the things that I'm interested in. Like you mentioned, politics, sports, love basketball, football, baseball, all those different things. So whatever my TV's on could be on House of Dragons. You just never know. Whatever my TV's on, that's what I'm going to be commenting on. And I know a lot of people are watching and they're plugged in as well. And it's like, you know, we were growing up, we didn't really have social media and things like that, right? So you had to watch a game or, or watch something and then you talk about it at school the next day and, you know, get the jokes off and, and get those things going. Now you have, you know, instantaneous and immediate reactions to whatever's going on and 
across, you know, across the world, across the planet. That's why I'm so thankful for a platform like Twitter as well. It just keeps me in touch. Obviously, there's a lot of fake news and a lot of fake stuff that comes through there. And you got to be able to to weed through all that stuff to see what's true, what isn't. But I think, you know, when we're all watching the game, we all see a moment and we all have various reactions for it. I try to just be, you know, as fast as I can as possible. And also just, you know, try to try to, you know, crack jokes and be funny. Look, I, I, I grew up playing basketball. I have a basketball family. You know, this is no different than the stuff we used to do at the locker room at UCLA or in high school or in junior high or whatever it may be. You're just with your friends cracking jokes. You know, some people do it on group chats. Some people do it, you know, in, in, the, in their DM groups or whatever it may be. I like to just do it on Twitter. And, and if the stuff goes and people rock with it, more power to them. But at the end of the day, if it's stuff that I find humorous or I find entertaining, or some commentary that I want to offer from my own perspective, uh, I'm more than happy to put it out there and to see how it goes. So are you just sitting on a ridiculous truckload of various videos you don't know how you're going to use necessarily, but you like the mood of the video or you like the message it sends, and then one day, oh, I, I now I got the thing that matches up with that thing like a puzzle. So when I was a kid growing up, I always had a huge interest, film, TV, music, all those type of things. So just a library of content that, you know, didn't really know how I was going to be able to use it. Like, you know, absorb so much content growing up, good movies, bad movies, great TV shows, terrible TV shows and everything in between. So just have so much of that stuff sitting on my brain at any particular moment. So I can generally see a, a video, a moment, a photo image, whatever that thing conveys and have certain certain stuff I know that I'll use it for. But there'll be times when I'll be sitting on a video for years and it's like I've had this video in my head just thinking about the, the most accurate and appropriate way to use it. Something happens that obviously fits fits that and I can drop it. And, you know, generally they, uh, the reaction is is pretty substantially supportive and so positive and people understand what I'm what I'm trying to go for. So and I also like to tell people, look, I'm a little bit older. So there's a lot of stuff now from the younger generation. I frankly, you know, you'll never see a SpongeBob meme come from my page. I didn't watch SpongeBob growing up like, you know, I, yeah. I was a little older when that when that was the wave. So there's things that are particular to my age range and my demo. So most of the time it's for them. So, you know, a lot of time people who are younger who may not have seen it are supportive and they're curious and they want to know where it came from. But generally people in my age range know the type of stuff I'm talking about because it's all stuff that we grew up consuming and watching when we were young. I think something I appreciate that you do is you seem to have no fear of failure. Yeah. Like I'm sure you've done some that didn't get the notice you wanted or didn't come through and get conveyed the way you wanted, but you weren't scared to put it out. Like a comic on stage or somebody, you know, taking a risk in a movie or whatever, they believe, hey, I know what I'm doing. I'm proud of it. I'm doing it. If people get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. Well, it's like digital stand-up, like you mentioned. Like, you know, I've bombed on stage tons of times. You know, that, you know, it's funny now you look at 2022, but you go back and look years ago, there was definitely stuff that I'm not necessarily the proudest of or, or think performed as well as it should and stuff that just frankly wasn't good. But all of that stuff is a part of the learning process, right? You know, to be a great stand-up comedian, you got to bomb. You got to really perfect your craft, work on your material, work on your strategy. So, you know, the, the 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 way I do it and the advice I give to people that are trying to get into this space is like, yo, you just got to put yourself out there. Whatever happens, you know, a lot of people have a fear of, fear of failure, a fear of putting things out there that people aren't going to resonate with. And they, they hold that internally and make them tough. Look, I, I've been called every name under the book. I've had death threats, cancer wishes, you know everything you can imagine for basketball takes or for jokes or whatever it may be. But for me now, as I've started to see it and, you know, really kind of deconstruct the other side of it, I realize it's a lot more projection, you know, at other people who wish that they could do the stuff they do. I, and I hear a lot of people say, Oh, Josiah just does this, or he just does that. And my counter to that is always, well, if it's so easy, then go ahead and do it. Like you have, like you mentioned, I got a right. phone, internet connection. You can watch the same games that I can watch. So if you think that what I'm doing is so easy, then by all means, put yourself out there as well. And I try to be, as encouraging as possible. And it's been really cool for me to see 
how social has kind of shifted over the past few years and how I've kind of been an inspiration for a lot of people to try some stuff, people that would never have thought about getting into the space or trying to do things like this. And it's cool to see those people that do it, that start to build their following. And now they get opportunities they never would imagine. Like I get to co-host shows now in spots that were traditionally reserved for Hall of Famers or NBA stars or players like that, that we're all now getting opportunities because we all have strong voices, strong opinions. And we're also able to build a following, which is the most important thing, I think, to brands and companies who want to work with people like, yo, they need people who have a reach, who can connect with the culture who can put things out there that people are going to engage with. And it really doesn't matter whether you're LeBron James or you never played basketball in your life. Like everybody now has the ability to go out there and do it. It's going to be a lot easier for some, obviously celebrities, you know, entertainers, people like that, that have a massive strong following. It's going to be a lot easier for them to do it than just your average Joe, but nonetheless, average Joe's can go out there now and make names for themselves as well. Do you take very much time? I know you want to, you want to be quick. Something just happened in a game. Something just happened in society it's kind of cool to have a really good bit for it five minutes later or less, right? Yeah. But are there other times it's just not ready? I don't like my sentence. Hold on. I'm gonna. It's going to be 10 minutes later. Like, do you ever regret that there's a too big a gap in time and you wanted to hammer at the, the moment you had it in your head? Well, I think how social has grown and how now everybody's in the game, it becomes a lot more difficult, right? That thing you sit on now for five to 10 minutes, by the time you put it up, there's a very good chance that somebody else has put up something similar. So, you know, to combat that, I try to get stuff up as fast as possible for all watching a game and we see a big moment, you know, those things are unpredictable. They're unscripted. It's live. It's in the moment. You got to just come with whatever your best offering is. So I try to really thrive in that space because, and there's just sometimes, frankly, like, you know, I might take a nap or something. I wake up and I've missed a piece of news or whatever. So I already know I kind of go through a checklist. All right, here's some of the stuff, you know, I know a lot of people that work at these major like sports accounts and things like that. So I know the things that they can get approved the things that are safe for their company that'll be on brand for their company. So I'll stray away from that and try to come with something just different, unique. And a lot of times I'll just like see something and in, in a, in a, something will pop in my head. Oh, this reminds me of this scene from this film or, you know, this screen grab or whatever it may be. So I just try to be generally as quick to the, the punch as possible because that's the only way you ensure that, you know, you don't get accused of stealing stuff or whatever. And it, right. it's such a, you know, it's like the wild, wild west, such a crazy spot, but it's crazy to me, man. I'll put stuff up and literally, you know, I'm not as active on Instagram as I am on Twitter. So I'll put a, a banger out on Twitter and then literally have all types of people, you know, sending me messages of other Instagram accounts that have literally taken the same exact thing, not really altered it at all. Don't really attribute any credit. And for me, I like to sleep at night, so I don't really operate like that. Yeah. I don't get down like that. It's just not, you know, it's not the way I was raised. Like, and I know a lot of people have been extremely successful operating like that. But I really thrive and enjoy the creativity to be able to dig deep into the library and reference something that people have, you know, all but forgotten and kind of bring back those nostalgic moments that we all experienced, you know, during our lives. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the appropriate way, and I think I've done this way and, and I've seen others, repeat what you did get, so you have the credit. It's his thing. And then we add a comment on top, our own joke that compliments your joke. That's different than grabbing the video and stealing your joke and sticking it on another form it's wild man and it, it's such a <laughs> such a crazy thing to see because a lot of these accounts will attain a level of success you know and it'll lead to various things for them book deals script deals all those type of things but i kind of always laugh because they're not getting put in those situations where they need to be creative and they need to come up with stuff of their right. own and that's not their lane and that's not their specialty so they end up exposing themselves and humiliating themselves because that's not really their art form and you know to your point like everybody kind of is inspired and uses stuff. My thing is like, look, people are inspired by me. I'm inspired by a ton of the other amazing creators out there, but it's, it's finding a ways to make things unique, different. You know, somebody might post a video, 
that they use for, you know, a certain thing. And then I might grab that video and use it for something else and vice versa. They do it to me as well. I don't really get mad at that. That's not a big deal. I think right. all this memes, all these content is really for the streets. It's really for everybody to have and to use at their disposal. The thing that bothers me is like, damn, you just copy and pasted the exact thing that I just did. Now you're trying to pass it off as if it's your own thing, you know, and, you know, I've had it happen countless times where I'll post some, a bigger account will steal it. And then, you know, whoever's being referenced. And I, I think of like, I did like a Fred Van Fleet uh, uh, post after Drake came out with a, you know, a music video, bigger account stole it and Drake's, you know, laughing on their, on their posts as if they're the ones who put the content up. And again, this is, it's a part of the game. You got to charge to the game. It's not things I necessarily get mad about, yeah. but I'm very perceptive. I see everything that's going on in the world. You know, I'm always lurking in the shadows, looking at everything that's going on for me. Like, look, the game is the game. I accept that, that element and that aspect of it. So it really kind of just motivates me to be as creative as possible, try to get stuff out as fast as possible, just to save myself from any confusion of, of, of who put it up first or where it's coming from. Do you ever have nights where you've done a few good ones and you're like, I'm calling, I'm calling it quits. I've done enough. I've, I've given, I've given to the society because the fourth one, maybe you already hit the home runs. You don't even want to risk the fourth one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I've, I've definitely had periods younger in my social days where you start to get too thirsty, right? It's, this shit's addicting. Mm -hmm. It's like a drug, man. You put up a banger tweet and it's like, Ooh, I want more. I want to put up more. And I've kind of learned the hard way that, you know, you know, you don't go, it's like playing basketball, right? I got my go-to move. That'll give me a bucket but I can't use that move six, seven times in a row because eventually the defense is going to catch on and they're going to stop it. So tweeting's extremely similar. Younger days, yeah, definitely would, would over-tweet, would get too thirsty, would get too anxious to put stuff out. Now for me, like, you know, whether I put one or put five, you know, bangers out in the night, it really doesn't make a difference to me. It's really just whatever I'm comfortable with. And, you know, the great thing about our society, great and bad, is there's always so much stuff going on, you know, within any given moment. Uh, sure. Robert Sarver selling the Suns, Trump's getting, uh, you know, getting blasted by the attorney general in New York. Uh, there, there's eight different things going on. So there's a bunch of different stuff for me to talk about stuff that I'm interested in, stuff that I'm interested in engaging with. So there's always ample content out there. And I'm the type of person like, look, if I miss something, if I miss a, a great meme or a great, great piece of content or a great moment, I'm comfortable with that. Cause I know I'm going to be able to get more wins and losses. I'm going to catch more stuff than I miss. But at the end of the day, like I don't have a team, I don't have a crew of people working for me. So anything that you see come from my account is coming from me. I don't, I don't really, you know, I probably need it. I, th I think at this point, just I'm so busy now, so much stuff going on, but I really take pride in the fact that whatever it is, good or bad, whether you love it or hate it, you know, I'm coming, it's coming from me and I'm, I'm happy to own up to it either way. Do you try to stay away from, like most of your stuff, in my opinion, would be fun loving. It might be on the edge, but it seems like you're coming from a good, like a good heart, a good place, not vindictive, not cutting. Like, do you have a moral code that way that you just follow or is it just who you are and it comes out that way? So I think for me, as I've gotten older in this game, when I was younger, I was a lot more petty, uh, you know, a lot more out of pocket, a lot more on the disrespectful side. And I think as I've gotten older and grown and especially just in the wake of, you know, you look at all the, the mental health situations going on. You got guys like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan who've been extremely vocal. I learned to respect these people, right? I, and, 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 you know, even if it's LeBron or Kevin Durant, whoever it may be, they're human beings at their core, right? They have feelings, they have emotions. Nobody likes to be picked on. Nobody likes to be disrespected. So as I've grown, and also these guys follow me now, so I got to move a little differently. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a little different when a Steph Curry or a KD follows you in terms of how you're going to do it. But I've always kind of approached it from the side that, I want these guys to have stuff, whether they have a good game or a bad game. Yeah, like I'm not going to rip them to shreds. I think there's there's tons of people online who will do that. I ultimately have a high level of respect for them 
and everything that they've accomplished and what they've been able to do. So I'm going to be respectful as possible. I want them to have stuff that they can share with each other in the locker rooms and laugh about, you know, get a good joke out of. And yeah, like to your point, you know, if somebody's having a, an awful game, you know, there are instances, obviously, we want to get the jokes off, but I always try to be respectful as possible. And, you know, if I'm going to get the jokes off when they're having a down game, I'm, I'm definitely going to support them when they're having a good game as well. Right, so right. you got to bring balance to the force. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of uh, what I call hate talk radio, you know, where they just rip on players, rip on coaches, and it's such a negative and dark thing as opposed to, like, the show I did was the the games are over, now we're on, we're going to celebrate all the cool shit that happened. Yeah. To me, that's what's fun about sports, less so let's rip on the quarterback who had three interceptions. Because I always say, especially, like, with the NBA, the last player on every bench in the NBA, the worst player in the league, would absolutely destroy most American males on any gym, any why, right? You know, people don't always get that, right? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I think, especially in a spot with social media, right, where you can just put an avi up and say all the meanest, meanest, nastiest things you've ever wanted to say to somebody and not be held accountable for it. But again, you know, it's my account, you know, it's coming from me. So I have to move a little differently. You know, I'm not a fan of the troll accounts or the bot accounts. And you see the way these people talk. And it's crazy because a lot of times, you know, people will come at me and I can tell who it is just by, you know, the tone or or or, or how they're speaking. And you, you can key in on, all right, I know who this person is. I know they would never tweet this from their real account. So they have to tweet it from an account where now they've got tough. They got social media muscles now that they, they can flex on people. But you see it all the time. You know, you know, somebody like LeBron James, who's my favorite player of all time. You know, LeBron could post a tweet about him opening up a school or a charitable endeavor or whatever it may be. And he'll just be ripped with a bunch of hate, negativity. Yeah. You're, you suck. You're a fraud. And it's like the people who are calling them this literally got, you know, cut from their JV team as seniors. Like, so how much how much of it can you really take credence in? Right. And I'm also respectful of like, look, people agree with me, disagree with me. As long as you stand on it and say it from, you know, who you are and not just kind of hide in the shadows with some fake troll account with a bunch of numbers at the end of it, because now you feel tough and now you feel like you can say whatever you want to do without any fear of retribution. Like, you know, that type of stuff will never fly with me. But anybody who can do it from their own account and disagrees or whatever, as long as they want to have a rational, reason, reasonable conversation, which isn't always the case on social media, obviously. But do it in a respectful manner. I got no problem with it. I'm not here to make everybody like me or make everybody agree with me. And if you disagree and you can present your disagreements in a valid way, more than happy to, to have a discussion about it. But when it starts to become, oh, you suck and you're fat or I hate you and all that other type of shit, like I don't get down like that because I know, again, like, you know, if, if they saw me face to face or if I saw some of these guys, uh, you know, that I that I tweet about or whatever face to face, it wouldn't be like that. So I try to approach it like that. Let me tweet something that even this person sees it and they run up on me because that's, you know, as the star power has grown a little bit, I get to go do some cool shit now. I'm around these people. So I never want it to be any issue. Like I never want to have any smoke anywhere I go, man. I just try to be, again, respectful. But when these guys see, they laugh and like, oh, that was hilarious. And like I said, sometimes they're going to be on the other side of it, but I'm, I'm more than happy. I'm, I'm more than, you know, happy to be self-deprecating in the stuff that I do as well. So if I say something wrong or if I'm off about something, more than happy to own up to it and deal with whatever comes with it. How about when you get into those cases where I run into it because I'm steadfastly uh, someone who has been against The Apprentice host since, yeah. you know, way back when. And I used to have to do it when I was like at ESPN. I had to do it in code. I always said I shot from beyond the Jamel line, and some people knew what I meant by that. Yeah. She went hard inside. I was, you know, like shooting from outside or doing it in code. I'd, I'd quote Stevie Wonder, uh, he's Mr. Know-it-all when he was speaking, and, and people who got it got it, and those who didn't did it. Anyway, so because of that, there's a handful of folks out there, and I see the names, I don't know who they are, 
same guys keep, you know, they just say something stupid. What about Hunter Biden? You know, whatever. They got some dumb thing to say after I've made a point or I've retweeted Sarah Kenzie or something, right? I look at it like the best way to do it is just broadcast what your message is and don't get in those petty battles because you end up arguing with somebody. You're just giving them notice. That's what they're looking for in the first place, right? So I think, I think you know, as you mentioned with Cheeto and a lot of stuff that went on, and it was truly a fascinating case study and just the power of social media and the reach of social media. I mean, here you have a lifetime fraud, criminal crook, you know, literally, you know, one of the, the lower humans of society, but he's been able to project this image on social. It's like, you know, those kids who go take a photo in a private jet that's not theirs and they can pay 50 bucks to go take the photo to, and people really believe and hold on and create this thing in their mind that's not real. And, you know, I obviously saw Jamel Hill when she was at ESPN, she was very vocal and outspoken and all the shit that she was saying came true. But now they're so, you know, stuck in the weeds of drinking that Kool-Aid that there really is nothing that'll make them come back from it. Like, you know, Trump even said, you know, I can shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and not lose a vote. And he was not lying. Like, they, he, got a, nope. he, got, he got a round of applause for that. Like, you know what I mean? that And it's like, shit, if you take a step back, that's not something you cheer for. Like, I'm actually bragging about how I can murder somebody and you guys wouldn't care. And you guys are just saying, yeah. And it's so <laughs> it's it's kind of a level of stupidity that you can't really waste your time arguing with. And for me personally, I'm not trying to change anybody's opinion. I know that really nothing will happen. There's, there's nothing that's really going to make people change. Ultimately, you know, it's just how they view the world. So yeah, you, you deal with all that stuff. But my, my best advice for anybody that gets caught in that is why waste your time? I think a lot of times people want to be the, the king of social, like oh, I'm the best debater on social media, you know, and, and, and I've, like I've said, I've never seen or very rarely seen people get into an argument and then one person be like, you know what, actually the points you raised were valid and I'm wrong. Noted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no. how, how many times have you put something out and then you don't respond but there's a big group below your original tweet and there's this fire going on that you started, but you're not involved in. All you did is set the table for this two hour argument between people you don't know that are still tagged to you. Yeah. It's, it's a wild thing. Cause just like days later, people, I mean, I've seen people go for literally like seven to eight, 10 days strong, just back and <laughs> forth at each other, comment, 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 comment. And, you know, I'm always kind of like tempted to jump in and just be like, look guys, like, this is annoying. You're fucking on my feed now. Every time I, I every time I look at my phone, I got to look at this this debate that doesn't make sense on either side. But I think that's a part of you know social media. Everybody wants to feel important. Everybody wants their voice heard, and you know uh, people deserve to have their voices heard, of course. But it gets into those type of things. It starts to get really nasty and mean. But I'm I'm thankful that I'm a product of kind of the YouTube era when YouTube first came out. So the stuff I see on Twitter is nowhere near the stuff I used to see on YouTube in terms sure. of just negativity, tox toxicity, and all the other nasty stuff that goes on. So I'm kind of desensitized by all of it. And, uh, you know, that's, again, like when people get into social media, it's hard because everybody, you know, wants to be pat on the back and told how much they like things. But, you know, I could tweet something like, hey, I like pancakes. And the response is going to be like, well, how come you don't like waffles? Or how come you don't like? And it's just like, yo, this has like. <laughs> oh, I, I got I got into that once because I stood up for IHOP, the International House of Pancakes. You might have heard of it. And that's where I used to go in high school. We had an IHOP. At the Federal Way Mall, I grew up south of Seattle, right? And so, like, on Saturdays, the day after our high school football game, I'd meet with this player, Daryl, from the, the local rival team. We thought we were so cool meeting for breakfast day after our game, talking about our game. You know, it was our thing. And it was always at the International House of Pancakes. I became a huge fan of their Swedish. And for all my life, I search out International House of Pancakes when I'm on the road uh, and try to get their Swedish pancakes. And so I brought this up. Like, I, I'm, I'm standing up for... And people, Waffle House people were coming at me, Cracker Barrel, you know, it was, 
very funny because all I was doing is saying I like the Swedish. I wasn't trying to say yours are bad or anything like that. And it, it almost became this vicious argument about which pancake house were you standing up for? Yeah, believe me, I'm a big IHOP fan as well, so I, I can understand. Never really had the Swedish pancakes, though, but you used to always love oh, those. those the best. Love those commercials back in the day. I used to be so tempted to want to get them. But, you know, you got to have real maple syrup. I ain't standing for the imitation bowl. Yeah, never, never. You know, you got to come with the real. But yeah, it's just, you know, everybody, and, you know, I see it even a lot with, with people that I know. And, and, you know, they might be fans of one player and the, the other person they're getting into it is a fan of another player. And I always got to pull them aside and be like, look, you guys have so much more in common than you can imagine. You're going to hate each other because one person likes Steph and you like LeBron or you like MJ and this person likes Kobe. It's like, I mean, give me a fucking break, man. We're just talking about, ba- it's just basketball here. None of us are playing. None of us are making money. It's, it's wild. <laughs> I've hit the wall on the argument about the greatest ever things in whatever sport seems to keep reoccurring with Michael Jordan or LeBron or whoever. I always say Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. That's my answer. Do you get the iPhone report? We all do, right? Like your phone will just tell you in the last week you have used blankety blank average hours per day. Like your your number must be ridiculous. So screen time used to be super heavy. I've kind of taken a step back and even had to slow down on it because I would have shit happen, man. And it's crazy stuff. I'd stare at the phone so much vision would start getting blurry. And I've had I've had more than a few times where I'm trying to write out a tweet and I can't see the words. So I got to show it to my wife to make sure, you know. It's, it's accurate. The sentence, the sentence structure is accurate. The names are spelled correctly before I can hit tweet on it. So I've definitely noticed a lot of that just from staring at screens and bright screens for long periods of time. So I try to kind of t- tone it down and slow it down a little bit, get some rest, do some other things, you know, enjoy some other activities because it, it can really take over and consume your life. And I think there's a great parts of social and that's probably one of the negative sides of it. You just get yeah. so immersed in this world. Like, you know, I, I love you know, I'm, I was a history major at UCLA. I just love consuming knowledge, love learning things, love knowing things. And, you know, we were growing up, you got the newspaper, you know, it would take you however long to read through it. You kind of read through the key bullet points, whatever you needed to know. Now with social media, right, the Twitter feed is just an an endless news cycle. It won't stop. It never ends, like tons of stuff going on, so much cool stuff, funny stuff, entertaining stuff, intriguing stuff, stuff that's polarizing and gets your blood boiling. So I've kind of, you know, learned to just take a step back, take a breather every once in a while. But yeah, it's hard when you work in social media, you know, my wife will get on me a lot about being on my phone all the time. And it's like, look, like, you know, I don't know what I'm looking for until I find it. Like it's, you never know you any moment you could research. Yeah. That's how you're just constantly scrolling through, but you know, absorbing so much info, really just so much knowledge that's getting digested in any moment that I don't really know what is going on or talking about or whatever. And it's funny, you can watch a lot of stuff just through Twitter. Now you can see what's trending, what's topical, what people are buzzing about just scrolling the timeline a little bit. So it's a it's a necessary evil for the work that that I do, but I also try to just take a step back every once in a while, take a breath, and you know not get too consumed by it when possible. How about when your phone surprises you with your picture roll and just decides we're going to lay this music and here's seventeen pictures of you and your wife or you and your daughters or in your case your two little kids? That always weirds me out. How did this even happen? How do they have face recognition inside my phone in the way that they do? And then I was, I became like a fan of it. like, cool. This is a nice little surprise. I don't remember that day that we were in the Bahamas or whatever the case. It's it's wild because like the soundtrack is always, even if it's like a song you haven't heard before, it always feels like it's per- pertinent and timely and topical. And yeah, yeah, to your point, like seeing those photos and those memories, the shit that freaks me out. And you know, there's been different debate and discussions about it. But I'll be talking about some phone will be off, 
next thing I know, you know, my whole feed is getting served up ads of that thing I've been talking about. Like, hey, yeah. I want to take a vacation here or whatever. It's like, here you go. Like, here, you know, they're listening. <laughs> yeah. So it's like as much as we like to pretend like they're not. And I think you have to just. Well, I had a little problem with my phone. It's it's persi- I got it like less than a year ago. And it just kind of goes bad. It's happened like four times and you got to reset. You know, something's a little off with it, but I'm, I'm, I am I'm don't want to go through the whole damn new phone thing again. I, I'd rather have this problem that I can fix. So it was in the last time this happened. This is out in Seattle. And I said to the guy, hey, I just noticed there's this little orange reddish dot that appears occasionally, and it's right over here. I point to where it shows up. He says, oh, that's when they're listening to you. And I think he's joking, right? I said, well, come on. He said, no, that's when they're li-. I said, who's they? He's like, I don't know, but that's when they're listening to you. Yeah. And I believe him. I believe, I, like, <laughs> I've seen too many practical examples of it. It's like, there's no way that this ad should just sh- show up. It's not like I searched it on Google. It was literally a conversation I had to the point now I get a kick out of, I'll just make up conversations about stuff just to see if they'll serve ads on it. That's a good one. Yeah. Just like I'm stuff, try that. stuff I'm not even interested in, like, ooh, mayonnaise. And then you get a bunch yes. of mayonnaise. For- <laughs> well, more than once, Gretchen, my wife and I have said, things that we wouldn't say in public, you know, because we're in private, right? Like you have, you're supposed to be able to do that. And then we say, we're just joking. If anyone is, you know, we have to like do the amendment to the thing we just, I wouldn't even tell you what the example is. All right. <laughs> have you had this experience? Because I've had it more than once. And I think it goes to what you were just talking about, where you, you've just been doing it too much. You're getting tired and your your faculties aren't all there. I will tweet something, hit the button. It says sending and it says sent. And for about eight seconds until I get to see it at the top, sometimes it takes a minute to, to reload. Yep. I'm like, did I just say, I want to, you know, any example, did I just put a picture? Did I just do something really horrible and I'm in trouble? Like, yeah. you kind of spaced out that you might have fucked up yeah. and said something or sent something that you shouldn't have. Well, look, you know, sometimes I'll have the phone in the pocket and the screen will be up and it'll navigate the things oh, I didn't, you know, sure. and I'm just like, well, you know, that, you know, definitely a lot of close calls on that side. But yeah, I always have that, you know, hitting the, hitting that tweet button is always kind of a moment for me. Just make sure no typos, make sure, you know, the the images can be, whatever I'm trying to say is being con- communicated and conveyed correctly. Definitely have had examples where I put stuff up that people didn't see, you know, couldn't read between the lines sure. of what I was saying. So it's like, all right, I got to delete that thing because oh, it's not, it's not going a, the way I want. I'm a purist on the typo. Like I forgive others. People make typos. It happens. You spell two T-O-O instead of T-O or, you know, those mistakes happen. Sometimes when somebody, when it's riddled with a bunch of problems, you're like, okay, this guy can't even write. But I'll forgive the common mistake, but I hate it when I make it. Yeah. And I'll go and add, you know, fix, typo, whatever. Like, I'll respell the word to make sure everybody knows I know. But then you start getting, how do you spell the? Like, I'm Googling it, the, to make sure I spell, you know, you start, like, overthinking all For sure. Definitely. You know, that's always a part of it. Especially dealing in the NBA space where you got to pronounce names like Anna Nakumpo and make sure it's spelled sure. correctly. Always a double, triple check. You want to be respectful of these guys. But yeah, typos really, really sting me. The worst is like a typo and then the tweet goes viral and you can't fix it. Oh, but I'm also a believer in, yeah, because I see typos all the time in other people's stuff. If you can get the general gist or message of it, I think the human brain works in amazing ways. It'll fix a lot of those typos. They fix it for you. But like coming up in my game, I started in sports entertainment. I used to do graphics. So I literally you know, be working on shows like Total Access and NFL Network, and I had to build all the graphics. And your mind really starts to fuck with you, Roy. Oh, like, yeah. words would be misspelled, and I'd just be looking at the word, like, there's nothing wrong with this word. Then it's like, the has three E's on it. It's like, oh, shit. Yes. Like, 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 you know, you snap out of it. 
the word misspell is often misspelled. I've pointed out. I got a good friend oh, yeah. who was at ESPN and he, and he got to go to the Super Bowl in his first or second year, like a young PA, and he put up the wrong final score. Yeah. So that's that's the game. That's the move he made that day. Yeah. No, it, it's funny you say that. I remember, you know, you used to get like uh, progress reports, you know, early on in my career and somebody's comment, these were anonymous comments, like has problems with misspellings and misspelled misspell. And it's like, well, yes. like look, look inward, motherfucker. That's, that's why, you, you know, that, that's, that's kind of where this problem is starting from because you can't even spell the word correctly. My very first TV job is back in Seattle out of UNLV and, and Senator Jackson, Scoop Jackson, the famous senator from Washington State had passed away. And they were going to do like a big, uh, you know, ceremonial tribute to him on the last two, three minutes of the show. And it was supposed to end. The show's going to go to, to, to black after they put up his image and his, his birth and death date, right? But the, the Chiron operator is what they called it at the time. Yep. He's from Afghanistan. He had just come over. Yunus Peshtaz, good guy. Uh, but, you know, English wasn't his first language. He didn't get the communication right. He hit the button because at the end of the show, usually weather's the last thing. And then they say they goodbye. So we got Senator Jackson's picture up for 45 seconds, and it says Dave Torsha, meteorologist. Sadly funny. Yeah. yeah. I, man, some, some of the guys I work with I respect tremendously. Like there was one time, I think on ESPN, they ran like an OJ graphic for a Vic story and things like that. And like these are, you know, the level of egregious mess ups. But I think a lot of people at home don't realize, like, you got two Chiron or Viz. It turned into, yeah. it went from Chiron to Viz RT when I was there. But you got Viz operators. Sometimes the machine screws up. Sometimes you'll have the right headshot. Sure. It'll show the correct headshot in preview. You hit send, it goes on air. The headshots flop in the logo. And that's one of those things, like, you know, doing graphics is a thankless job, right? But when you mess up, that phone rings in the control room. Oh, yeah. And, and whoever's watching, you know, it's like, what the hell is just going, you know, and that's, that, that's when you start to get your recognition and, and notice on, in that particular field. <laughs> Just like offensive linemen holding. Yeah, exactly. 57. Um, well, we had one also where they were trying to put up James Earl, file footage of James Earl Ray, the assassin. Yeah. And instead they put up James Earl Jones, the actor, and it was up for 40 seconds. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, that's not the reason why I wanted to bring this up. I don't even know why I wanted to. <laughs> I remember, I think I've brought this up more than once. I know I have. Somebody on Twitter did one of those things, you know, those kind of fun little participation participation things. Eric Alper, the music guy, is great with that. He, I don't know if you follow him. He's no. really good. He'll name a song that references such and such, and everybody jumps in with, you know, their favorite art. It's kind of fun, yeah. right? It keeps things uh, positive and lively. So they were asking, explain what you do for a profession without saying what you do for a profession. And I think my answer was, I now get paid to do what used to get sent get me sent in the hall in fifth grade, right? <laughs> and I feel like Mr. Bell wasn't having it. Um, I spent half the half the year out there, but I worked on my game in the room, right? What's the most absurd thing I can say right now? I, you got two seconds, something happened in the room, bang, hit him with a joke. Didn't always work with the teacher, but it, it, as long as the class liked it. So it's a roundabout way of getting to, I think you became what you are now in a good way through your athletics, through the jokes on the bench, through the jokes in the locker room, on the bus, right? You you didn't know it, but you were working on your material all that time. Yeah, I think, look, you go to a school like UCLA and you're in the locker room with a bunch of, you know, larger-than-life personalities, you got to be able to hold your own. And, and you know, as you know, with from a sports background, the jokes are going to fly. You know, it could be you wearing the same sweatpants again or something that happened, you know, the night before at a, at a function or whatever it may be, and you got to be able to hold your own. So, yeah, there was definitely a lot of time for that. I was kind of similar in nature, was very, very studious, like, you know, always got good grades, but was definitely the class clown as well. 
And I think people used to look like, oh, he messes around so much. How does he get these good grades? Because they didn't see me at home studying. And, you know, my mom was a teacher. So that was one thing that she was really standing on was that we were going to be very educated and perform well in our school schooling, but also get the jokes. Cause you know, my dad's super smart, but also a jokester as well. He's great at cracking jokes, funny dude, you know, and it became a competition even amongst the brothers in the family as well. You know, we got to be the funniest or, or have the funniest line. And, and, you know, and generally serious events didn't really matter. Like, you know, you could look over and sometimes it could just be a look that could get you, you cracking up and going and, and definitely from the sports side, that was definitely a huge, huge part of my life. Like all, all through growing up, you know, not going to say I was the funniest in locker rooms, but definitely would be able to hold my own, get the jokes flying, get people laughing. And again, that was, that was similar to kind of even what, what got me into Twitter, right? You know, you're going through two a days or, or that, that tough part of the season before games start. And it, and, you know, it's just the dog days and you're trying to get through it. You know, all it takes sometimes somebody just to crack a little joke, you know, you know, reference something, a song, a movie, whatever it may be and kind of get you back locked in focused. So I would definitely try to be that guy, keep the mood light as possible and really just, you know, understand that we're playing a game and it's not life or death. It's not war. It's not things like that. So let, let's obviously be serious in the moment, but if we can take a step back every once in a while, you know, and, and smile and crack a joke, then, you know, I'm, I'm going to have at it. I don't have your stats in front of me. You don't need them. I'm, I'm, well, I'm going to say you and I shared similar division one, a college athletic careers. I've, I played quarterback at UNLV, second string. I was on scholarship, but I didn't play all that much. Uh, senior year, Sam King, the kid who played ahead of me, led the nation in passing. So yeah. I, was, I was up against a good guy. A guy named Randall Cunningham was behind us. He was just coming in a freshman, right? Yeah. And he'd be, he should be in the Hall of Fame. You were something of a bench mob player yeah. for UCLA, but yet you were still at UCLA. Like That goes back to my earlier point. You must have been pretty damn good to be on UCLA no matter how the fuck you got to UCLA yeah. and whatever you brought to your – you just weren't as good as those guys that got all the minutes. I played with, like, I think 13 or 14 guys that went on to play in the NBA, and I think, you know, first couple of weeks on campus, it became very apparent that, you know, my career trajectory was going to be a lot different than theirs. And it's funny, man, people try to throw the stats, and, like, that that's the way they kind of try to, to jab and rib at me. But it's like ultimately, like you mentioned, I got a scholarship to play college basketball, so I don't really know unless, unless you outperform that. You know, how you're using that as a tool. Like, I think anybody who's blessed enough to be able to, to do that and attain that level, no matter how much you play or don't play or whatever it is, there's a, learn, a level of respect. And I'll have the same respect, like you mentioned earlier, of God. I don't care if it's the 15th man on the NBA team. He's far better. And we live in this culture in this world now where it's like, oh, you suck. You're terrible. You're trash. Yeah. And it's like suck or terrible or trash compared to what? Compared to you? Because if that's the case, this person is Michael Jordan. Like, they will, they will right. literally dominate well, you. I think that's the other problem is we get way too caught up. And this goes for media as well um, and fans. You know, everybody gets measured against Aaron Rodgers and Brady at quarterback. Everybody gets measured against LeBron and Michael Jordan. Like, no, how about we measure them, take it down a notch. Give me the the pretty good NBA players. That's a better – or give me the worst, you know. Like, it's ridiculous that we always go to the very top. And if you're not Michael Jordan, you suck. That's like the dumbest argument ever. Yeah, for sure. It's a wild – thing to see just knowing how difficult it is to be one of those 400 or so guys that get to play in the NBA for any moment. I don't care if you play a game, a minute, whatever it is to to reach that level of success. Same thing with college, same thing with high school all the way through. But again, we live in a a kind of negative world where people want to put people down to to build themselves up. So whatever it may be, and I'm I'm comfortable, you know, it's funny. I'll I'll talk to my dad sometimes and he'll kind of, you know, he's a proud dad. So, Oh, you should have played more in this, that, whatever. It's like, look, bro, like, it's time to face reality. It's okay. Those days are over with like, wasn't that good. It's okay. I, I was good comparatively to the universe. Right. 
but the other guys I was facing up against just, just didn't work out. Well, it's a pyramid. It's like everybody played high school football. Only, I think, two of us from my high school went to college football. And then from there, it gets tighter and tighter, and only a few from your college team get a chance, even a chance at the pros, much less have any kind of career. Yeah. And if the sooner people realize that and how thick that competition is, the more it makes sense. But I think if you were never in it, it doesn't make as much sense, you know, because you're on the outside of it. And that's wild. Like you said, like everybody in college was generally the best player on their high school team. Everybody in the yeah. NBA was was one of the top two players on their college team, right? So just to make that and those numbers dwindle, and now you talk about all NBA, whatever, it's like to reach that realm, it, it's, it's a wild thing, but that's a part of the game. You know, I think a sport like basketball where millions and millions of people play, but only thousands will actually get a scholarship or get the opportunity right. to play in college. And beyond that, only hundreds may get that opportunity to play in the NBA. Do you ever wish that you had selected a lower class school and played more and enjoyed the game longer than you ended up. I, my answer to that is I wish I would have played better. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's, I wish I would have gone to UNLV like I did and done better. I, I don't regret like, oh, I should have gone to Weber State or somewhere instead. So I, not regrets per se, but I was getting recruited by a ton of Ivy League schools. Uh, Brown was one of them in particular. So I look back, but then I feel like if I would have did that, I would have been like a square bear nerd who would have hmm. gotten the experiences that I got. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles. My dad played at UCLA. My older brother played at UCLA. So for me to get the opportunity to go there following their footsteps was something I wasn't going to pass up. I was getting sure. recruited by some other schools. Definitely, I was thinking about uh, Xavier in Ohio when Skip Prosser, who went on to coach uh, Chris Paul, Wake Forest, who passed away, he, he was recruiting me. And it was like, yo, would my game have turned out? I look at somebody like Austin Crozier, who uh, went to Crossroads and ended up going to Providence, turned himself into a, a great NBA player. But getting away from kind of L.A. and just the the, the scene and the life and family and all that good stuff. Do, yeah, would I have done it? No, nah, I'm I'm a I'm, I'm a L.A. guy. I hate leaving the city for any reason. Love when I always come back as soon as that plane touches down at LAX or Burbank Airport. Just a great feeling to, to, to soak in the air and the atmosphere. So I wouldn't have, you know, looking back on it, yeah, everybody's going to have regrets and, hey, I should have did this and I should have did that. But who's going to pass up the opportunity to go to UCLA? Sure. I feel the same way when I fly into Seattle. Yeah, you know it's great city. I see, great city. I see Mount Rainier. I see the water. I, you know, see the Space Needle. Like you see the Pearl Jam posters at the airport. You hear Duff McKagan from you know Guns and Roses on the PA, and I, like it's just cool. Like what you know is, and I love LA too. I, I'm West Coast, and I, I was leading to that. I was going to ask, are you less? What's the best way to put this? Like 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 the fight between USC and UCLA. Are you now older and like, yeah, I want UCLA to always prevail, but I'm not going to ruin my Monday if USA beat us? Or are you still pretty hardcore, that's our rival, we have to beat them at all costs? So I think I'm unique from a lot of UCLA fans. I feel like a lot of UCLA fans would love to see USC just be terrible and, and we beat them too. I'm not really, I don't subscribe to that methodology. I want that school to be as good as possible. I want LA to be buzzing. I'm a fan of the LA sports scene. So I want there teams from this region to be great. And then when we play USC, I want UCLA to kick their ass. Like that's that's kind of how I, yeah, you know. that's then you get it all. Then, it's then like, the level of competition rose up and you prevailed. But I, what I meant more like the Seahawks, that's my one thing, you know, the, I get more emotionally involved as a sports fan than probably any other. Point is, my teams, my home teams, I want them to win. But if they don't, I don't lose a lot of sleep anymore. I'm too old for that. Like, I want, you know, I just living your whole life through the success or failure of your team is a weird place for me. Yeah. It, it believe me, I, I still watch UCLA football, basketball, religiously watch SC football as well. 
and it still hurts. Like I think about, you know, UCLA in the final four a couple of years ago, Jalen Suggs hitting that game winner at the buzzer to put yeah. the Zags on. Yeah, that still stings just because, you know, you feel for those kids, you understand being in their position and, and how hard they work and how much they deserve to win that game, how well they played, you know, some questionable calls, definitely not going to blame the refs, but not going to get fined doing it. So definitely some questionable shit towards the end of the game. But yeah, I don't, I don't lose sleep over those things anymore. Definitely want to see those squads win, but you know, it's not like my night's going to be ruined. Like when we're in college, it's a little different, right? You know, oh yeah, you beat SC, you get to go turn up and have a great night and, 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 and hang out and party and do all those great things. You don't win. It's not going to be an enjoyable evening. So there's less on the line now that I'm older. What is your take? I mean, I'm so old. I grew up with the Pac-8, okay? I saw Dan Fouts, a Sonny Six killer. I, I knew Ahmad Rashad when he was Bobby Moore, running back, or right? Like, yeah. I'm old. So then it was the 10, then it became the 12. But those guys taking off, that one hurt. I, and I know there's been a whole bunch of conference realignments, and we all ended up getting used to it, right? Like, it made no sense. Why is this team playing with the fuck over there? That one hurts. USC and UCLA not on the West Coast, or they're still there, but they're not in it. That one's weird to me. Uh, I mean, it hurts for those other schools. I think, look, the, the Pac-12 has kind of been a, a laughing stock for a while, as, as much as it pains me to say. There's been a lot of questionable decisions. I think even some like the Pac-12 network, uh, you know, you have... Wait a minute. I'm going to interject here. We just had... Was it last? I'm The years all rolled together. There were like seven teams in the NCAA tournament in the last couple of years. Yeah, like, for sure. Com competitive. Oregon State, USC... UCLA, you know, great teams, great like, programs. I to, to call it a laughing stock, I think is. I think to the bad. rest of the world. Now we know, we know what it is when SEC teams come out here. They generally get that ass busted, like you know, like LSU found out last year when they mm -hmm. came to UCLA. We know what it is, but I think in the eyes of, of of the country, it's not a lot of respect, and that's attributed to a lot of reasons. You know, it's funny. I was just on the East Coast uh, last weekend. And, uh, you know, checking out Sunday Night Football on the East Coast, it's like, damn, this thing ends at like 1130 out here. That, yeah. That's late. Like, so just imagine, you know, we don't stand a chance. You know, the Pac-12 has done some things starting games earlier. But at the end of the day, nobody's, you know, excited to watch a UCLA game at 1030 on the East Coast. So I think making this move to um, the Big Ten and again, not necessarily a fan of the Big Ten, you know, their, their style of play is definitely not as, uh, you know, elegant and graceful as I'd say as West Coast basketball. We kind of dominate the scene. It's funny, man. You see like like New York and Chicago and all these other cities boast about, you know, their NBA pedigree, but nobody is holding a candle to L.A. And I think everybody knows that whether they want to believe it or not. You know, we can play basketball year round outside. We got better jump shots. You know, we understand the game more gracefully. But I think this move, curious to see, you know, I think it's a bigger issue just across the college landscape and in terms of, like you mentioned, realignment in, in conferences, adding schools and dropping schools. You know, when the move first happened, I, I thought maybe a couple other teams would come join to kind of make that West Coast schedule a little bit lighter. Definitely going to be interesting and curious to see UCLA have to go out to, you know, Piscataway to play Rutgers, Rutgers or, yeah. well, you know, and that's just a conference game now. Uh, but hopefully they'll be able to, to really beefing it up with all the money and revenue they're going to generate from this move. And you go and look at it, and I, I want to say like UCLA and SC are responsible for like 30 to 35 to 40 percent of the Pac 12's revenue. And it's like, well, shit, we can't, you know, we can't keep sponsoring these freeloader schools who are kind of eating off of us and aren't really adding value to the conference. So I got the chance to talk to Martin Jarman, who's the AD over UCLA. He was super optimistic about it. I had a lot of similar concerns that, you know, a lot of Bruins fans have. But then he started talking about just what it's going to mean from a revenue standpoint and, and improving facilities and improving recruiting and really raising the national profile of, of UCLA, which, you know, doesn't really get the respect it deserves, you know, across any sport. Obviously, we have the most national championships in basketball, 
but even that kind of is not respected at a level it should be. So getting, being able to see, you know, the, the UCLA, Ohio States and Michigans and all that type of stuff, I'm excited about. I would be hopefully optimistic that a couple few, a few more West Coast schools join. So now you could basically split it up into three different divisions, kind of have that Western division with UCLA, SC, right. sprinkling a couple other West Coast schools. But at the end of the day, you know, I think it's going to really help raise the profile of the Bruin program. And now if these kids get chartered flights and things like that, like me personally, like not to brag or boast, but I'm the type, right? If I got to go back east, I need the, the lie flat on the plane, like, or I, I won't go. And it's like, you know, if, if the, the price point doesn't match what my budget is, then I'm just not going to go. I'm, I'm keeping my ass in I LA. I shop for planes. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to be A320 for six hours. It's yeah, not working out. it's not, it's not, you know, but if you can get that lie flat. You're like, how tall are you? I'm six seven. Yeah, I mean, you need the room. All right, we have, I'm going to take the Magellan route to get there. We have a slight connection before this meeting here. Okay. Okay. Your dad, friends with Norm Nixon. Yes. Right? And then Norm married to Debbie Allen. Yes. And then you got to hang out on the set, right? Growing up, a different world. Yep. I went to UNLV, and the brothers from Inglewood taught me how to really play dominoes. White people think you set them up and, and flick one, and they all fall down. But you're really supposed to count by fives on the outside. You already know. And when these are all Laker fans, right? This is 79. Okay, Sonics are about to win the title. And if they scored 10 points, they'd slam the chip down and yell Nixon for Norm Nixon. Wow. And when I saw the whole connection there with you, Norm, Debbie, all that, I just thought there was a way to bring the whole thing back together. So I learned dominoes from the boys from Inglewood, Compton. Uh, cringe all these places right we had all the four three running backs coming out of there yeah for sure um and and i've remembered how to play i don't often get the chance nobody knows how to play dominoes anymore yeah. have you played dominoes that way recently is that a west coast thing i, I mean i think it's pretty uh, across the country you know the game can get very heated and intense especially if you're not good at math and good at addition so it, it <laughs> definitely could become problematic oh if, that they always they go oh i thought you white guys were good at math i thought you know because we're like uh, uh five you know trying to count it up Three plus two. There you go. But it's amazing to me to see people who are expert domino players, their ability to take score so cleanly, because I still got to like go through and count up and add and make sure everything makes sense and, and all that good stuff. But yeah, definitely, you know, and like you mentioned, Norm Nixon and, and Debbie and that crew, like my dad played on them. Probably a tough time in his career on, on the Clippers. Obviously, Norm was coming from, you know, Showtime and the Lakers to now, you know, no time with Donald Sterling and the Clippers. Like, you know, winning time versus losing time. Like, <laughs> yeah. what? It, by the way, what did you make of winning time? Whether it was perfectly factual or not, leave that aside. I thought it was highly entertaining. Like, I Great enjoyed show. every Sunday. I couldn't wait to watch. Great show. It, it's tough for me, especially knowing people like Norm, knowing, knowing people who were involved in the show, to see kind of how they were portrayed a little bit. Mm. But I think from an entertainment standpoint, amazing show. You know, kudos to the whole squad over there that was able did to do Norm, it. Did, I'm sorry, did Norm really try to bully Irvin Johnson early? Like, get the fuck out of here. I'm the guard. I think there's one part in particular, and I, I was talking about it with my dad, and it's like, there's a scene with, with, with Norm and Magic early on, and Norm, party. Norm's like fur coat, whatever, but he's calling yeah. he's calling Magic like country boy or something like that. <laughs> and my dad's like, Norm's from Macon, Georgia. Like, what? Like, that? Yeah. I'm just saying, like, you know, like, like he's that's not, you know, a character trait that was going to be specific to him. But, you know, things like that. And, and this is tough. It's tough when you're so close to the material. Obviously, you're really going to dissect it, you know. But ultimately, at the end of the day, like, watching that series was amazing. I'm excited for season two. Excited when they get to the uh, Kobe and Shaq, you know, three-ring circus. 
you know, Lakers years, like it's going to be entertaining, interesting to see how they, they portray that. And, you know, they're going to, I'm definitely, definitely going to be curious to see how people respond to it. Uh, one of my favorite periods. I mean, I loved all of Seattle basketball. I was, I was there at seven years old, you know, when the Sonics started in 67, standing next to Will Chamberlain, who looked like an absolute giant, Nate Thurman, all those guys. Sonics struggled for a while, but then they got pretty good. And they used to have this, uh, it was, I think it was like for concerts, they had like this, this little platform that's, that stood out above the gym. So you weren't, you're way up high, but you were looking straight down and to watch those Laker years later and watch the fast break develop. I mean, I, I would give anything to go back. Now we got a better gym. we got the climate pledge arena and we need to see an NBA team there soon. That, that's the like old the key, key arena, right? That, that's what it used it to be. It was the Coliseum, then it was the key arena, and now it's okay. called Climate Pledge. We, you know, we're, we're, we're bringing, in, uh, bringing in sunshine and, and powering the whole damn place up. I don't quite know how they do it, but they claim they're trying to you know, not waste energy. That's the goal of the place, which is not a terrible goal these days. How are you dealing with the heat in Los Angeles, one of many cities to be, you know, 112 degrees every other day. So it was it was pretty tough. A couple of weeks ago, our AC went out, and that was probably it. Just gave me a ton of respect for people around the world who grow up without the benefits of air conditioning. Because oh. as you know, like it's hitting 105. It was like 98 in the house. We had to go stay at a hotel down the street for a couple of days. It was oh, definitely rough. I grew up. I went to high school in the valley, so this isn't anything I'm not accustomed to. I remember driving home from school; it'd be like 110 degrees. I'd have to put my T-shirt over the steering wheel to stop my, my hands from burning. So it's things you get used to. Also didn't have AC at various stretches in high school too. So, you know, really start to just appreciate kind of the finer things in life, like some beautiful air conditioning, but it's been, it's been like in and out. And I live in, in the San Fernando Valley. So we get the the worst of it, you know, literally was hitting like 110 in the point where you don't even want to do anything. You don't want to move. You don't want to go out of the house. Like driving the car is difficult. You right. got to start to turn the AC on, come back in like 10 minutes once, once it's good to go. But like I said, it just gave me so much respect for people around the world who grow up in, in similar conditions like this, who don't have the, the luxuries and benefits that we're able to have in this country. Well, we got problems with clean water in our own country. That's a whole thing we could talk about. Um, wasn't it something, looking back now, what are you, almost 40, 40 I'm straight 40 piece. Okay. And your dad's about my age, maybe a little older, so I'm trying to do the math. Like, you were around a bunch of cool shit as a little kid. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we referenced the different world through Norm Nixon, his wife, and then you had your NBA. I mean, that's pretty cool just by itself, right? Living in that world and seeing all the opportunities like, oh, I got a whole bunch of options. I mean, I think about stuff. I was a little bit, you know, I was I was young for the tail end of my dad's career. He suffered like a, you know, a devastating neck injury that pretty much effectively, you know, ended his career prematurely. But, you know, the highlight for me was a 89-90 season. He played like 10 games with the Warriors. So we moved to Golden State. This is when Chris Mullen was still young, Mitch Richmond, oh, yeah. Tim Hardaway, you know, that whole TMC crew. But we lived in the same gated community as Chris Mullen. Chris was young at that point. I think his first child was on the way. And uh, he really just like he, he he took us in like we were his kids. So we would go to the Coliseum, which now Oracle, go shag balls and rebound for him at, at all points of the night. Remember one time WWF was in town. Uh, Chris Mullen took me and my brother and it was one of those things is Chris Mullen, right? So he has the key to the arena. So he just showed up with the ticket and he literally just unlocked the, you know, <laughs> went down the tunnel, unlocked the door. Everybody's kind of looking at him and you can look this up. Like uh, some, some shady shit happened where I think like the Bushwhackers or somebody were supposed to wrestle uh, was announcement that they were in a car accident. You know, all the fans are leaving sad and dejected. We go backstage and, you know, they're literally having like a money dispute and arguing over cash. 
Chris, Chris Mullen fucking, you know, being the legend that he is, gets pissed off. He's like, how dare y'all do that to these fans? And literally almost ends up fighting like a good portion of the WWF. Oh, my God. Because he was so dis- disappointed at the disrespect that they showed. He's basically screaming at him like, this is my home, motherfuckers. You don't come in here and do this type of shit. Like, and Uncle Chris. And it's crazy because security gets involved. And obviously, their, their, their allegiance is to Chris Mullen. So, you know, literally, it's, about, it's Chris Mullen, like five security guards. And my older brother, Chris, who's about 14 at the time, ready to take on the WWF. I'm kind of standing behind everybody, like just looking at it go down. I'm like seven or eight years old at this point. But I think about experiences like that and those opportunities. And like you mentioned, being able, you know, me and uh, Norman, Debbie's kids went to elementary school together. So being able to get picked up in the carpool and, and you know, shuttled over to the different world set to go watch a taping like stuff like that i don't really take for granted it's really helped shape and, and mold me and who the man i am today so i'm so thankful and appreciative of it and what is it you want to do next among the many many things you listed earlier is there one thing like man i want this thing to sell because i'd really like to put all my soul into that uh developing a ton of projects i already got the opportunity again like everybody sees the social media stuff right now he's he, the king nba twitter and all that the thing about me I really pride myself on is I don't drink my own Kool-Aid. I don't believe the hype. I don't care what, what anybody says or what, any, you know, for me, it's like, it's always just that, that thrill and excitement of setting a goal, hitting that goal, and then making that goal, you know, go higher and it's making my dreams higher. So we'd love to get back more into the scripted side. Got a couple projects in development that I'm working on. I'm excited about. And then also just to show people that look like myself, that there's tons of opportunities in this social media digital space, you know, as a kid growing up, we didn't, we didn't have social media. We didn't know that this would be a career path that you could take. And for me to see so many people who look like myself now that are getting opportunities literally off of tweeting or off the posting on Instagram or TikTok. And now this world of, of used to be influencers. Now it's content creators, but all the opportunities that people are now getting an opportunity to support themselves and their families from stuff that didn't exist 15, 20 years ago. And just really, you know, take pride on that side of it. So for me personally, like I'm, I'm super happy with the stuff I'm doing. It's crazy, man. I, I really don't like working. I'm sure like a lot of people. So, but I know I have to put the work in to get to where I need to be. But I just want to hang with the kids, coach T-ball, do all that stuff. So the stuff that I'm able to do now gives me the opportunity to spend more time with my family and really, really be there for, for my two little boys, I think is the most important thing to me. So ultimately, whatever I do on the career side is great. But as long as I get to be there for them and, you know, just simple thing like my five year olds playing T-ball now and just seeing the progress he's made in the last two weeks, two weeks ago, he couldn't hit a ball 10 feet. Now he's banging them off the wall in our house and got the the stance right and got the, you know, the good grip on the bat and all that stuff. So that's the stuff that, I, that I'm really happy about now. And from a professional side, like want to keep doing the social stuff, keep really being, you know, a voice for people who maybe don't have it but also showing people who look like myself, like I said, like, you know, this is a career that you can have and you can take seriously and you can make a lot of money doing. So it's something, you, you know, you really got to invest in. You can't just, you know, everybody can start a Twitter. Everybody can start a social media account and that's cool. But now how do you take that and take it to the next level and actually put the work in to get to where you want to be? I look forward to seeing all the next good stuff you do. And I look forward to your next tweet. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I had to take a break while we did the show. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get anything out. <laughs> Tell your wife, sorry we ate up some more time, but we appreciate yeah. loaning you out for the hour. I got one basketball quiz you can use. Came from, uh, hey, we can we can be done taping because uh, we don't necessarily, well, I did this once before. I think we actually put it on the air. Name nine white people who've averaged 25 a game per season since 1980. That's tough. You already named one. I want to go Kelly Trapuca. I'm trying yeah. to think. Larry Bird. Yeah. Um, Dirk. 
Yep. Yes, I got to dip into my white Rolodex. <laughs> I know there's always that one name that people always forget about. Trapuca, that was a good one, but a lot of people don't get that. There's an ex-UCLA player, early 80s. Early 80s? Caucasian? Oh, Kiki. Yeah. 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 Kiki. You had to think about that. It's funny, Kiki and my dad used to work out all the time at UCLA. Oh, nice. Kiki's you a... You already mentioned Chris Mullins, one of them. Yeah, Mullins. Um, shit, 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 shit. And Luca got it in the bubble. I don't know if he did it last oh, year. Oh, yeah. I, what? I got to think of temporary, too, now. Yeah. So it was eight. So this is funny. Legler always had these cool quizzes, and, and it took forever. I don't. I think I couldn't get one. I was pretty good on it. It took forever to get it. And then every time one of them would be mentioned on SportsCenter in some fashion, you know, like, you know, some old stat, you know, yeah. last time this happened was when Chris Mullen, blah, blah, blah. And I always go, one of the eight. <laughs> and nobody knew, except our little group, you know, that knew the quiz. And it was like our, my favorite thing I ever did. Is Kevin Love uh, in that mix too? Or? Kevin Love, Kevin okay. Love, Nowitzki, Tom Chambers. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's he did it at Phoenix, actually. Wild story. Like, I fucking used to go to Arsenio Hall show tapings as, like, an eight, nine-year-old. And randomly, they had the sons there for one of the episodes and, like, shot a bunch of shit with them. Oh, wow. But I was always enamored with Tom Chambers and his ability to dunk on dudes. Dude, he had game. Yeah, he was major. Uh, we might have left out one. Oh, Mikhail. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Damn it. Because people always guess, like, Hornacek, and they guess uh, uh, Bill Walton, Nash. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was really good, man. You were you were tremendous, as expected. I appreciate and, uh, you. Hope to meet you in person out there one day, and uh, keep doing good stuff. Hey, Maine is a production of me, Kenny Maine, and Odyssey. Our senior producer is Paul Aspen. Our executive producer is Jody Avergan, and our executive producer for Odyssey is Lena Glazer. If you like our show, please rate us, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe.